0: Evidently, the stiffness of your brain will determine how it can function. If you can imagine that, we can do a mechanical measurement on your brain to determine how it might function. Now, what will that help us with? Well, if we ever wanted to reverse engineer the brain or change the way it functions, understanding those mechanical elements would be incredibly important.
1: That was Levi Thompson, PhD, and dean of the School of Engineering at the University of Delaware, speaking about some of the major healthcare research taking place at his school that just may help make our brains function better in the future. Engineering trends, opportunities, and the future, and how you might capitalize on those will be our focus on the next two episodes of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to focus on the evolving world of engineering and how engineers across the world are tackling some of the most complex global challenges we face. In part one of this two-part series, episode number 79, we're going to look at how engineering has changed over the past few decades and what new areas of specialization have arisen for engineers. We'll also discuss some of the National Academy of Engineering's 14 Grand Challenges, whose ultimate objective is to improve our world and our quality of lives. To help us with all this, we've brought on an expert on this topic. He's Dr. Levi Thompson. Levi Thompson is the Dean of Engineering and the Elizabeth Inez Kelly Professor of Chemical Engineering at the University of Delaware, Where he leads more than 3,500 students, 300 plus faculty and staff, seven departments, and more than a dozen research centers in expanding the university's ability to address the world's most vexing challenges. Prior to joining UD, Dr. Thompson was on the faculty at the University of Michigan for 30 years. There he also served in various leadership roles for undergraduate education, hydrogen energy research, and diversity recruitment and development efforts. He is a fellow of the American Institute of Chemical Engineering and an elected member of the National Academy of Engineering. Dr. Thompson's research is focused on developing and commercializing nanoscale materials for catalytic and energy storage applications. He has authored more than 150 publications, is co-inventor on more than 10 patents, and has co-founded two companies, focused to commercialize his discoveries. Well, hi, Levi, welcome to Looking Forward. Thanks, Jeff. Great to see you. Levi, you've been an engineer for a long time. I shouldn't stretch out that long, should I? (laughs) What was it that made you interested in engineering? When did you become aware of the fact that you might become an engineer? Was there anything early on that indicated that? Absolutely. You know, as I think back, I always enjoy tinkering
0: with things, and I think that's where my interest in engineering derived. Uh, I would take things apart, I would put things together. Sometimes I'd get it right, sometimes I wouldn't. So there's that element of design, build, and test that you know many engineers understand. So I was doing that very early on. I didn't know it was engineering. You know, someone actually encouraged me to think about being a mechanic. For example, and that is engineering in some ways. But then I started to also get interested in chemistry. You know, I can remember as early as maybe 10, 8, 10 years old, I had a chemistry kit and I loved that thing. I worked with it uh, all the time. In fact, my parents had to take it away from me so that I would do other things. Chemistry, I'd say chemistry, and I was also interested in sports. So, That's where it really started with me, an interest in kind of tinkering with things, mostly putting things together, and then a little later, and I'm not sure where it came from, but an interest in chemistry. So that's how I became interested in chemical engineering.
1: That's very interesting to me, and it is so different from what I was interested in as a child. (laughs) But I will tell you this, Levi, my dad fixed the sewing machine when he was five and he was extremely mechanical and handy. So I guess it does tend to display itself at a very young age. It does, and it did for me. Yes. As we think about your role as the Dean of the College of Engineering at the University of Delaware, you seem to be placing a great deal of emphasis now, Levi, on the future of engineering. Of course, a great part of looking forward which we'll even get into more later on, is about looking into the future. But I'm curious now, why has that become so important to you and the University of Delaware?
0: Well, I think part of it is, you know, first you have to understand what an engineer is. Engineers are basically problem solvers. And when you consider the world that we live in as uh, humans, you know, we can think about animals, this planet that we uh, exist on, Filled with just really complex challenges that require increasingly complex solutions. And so that's why engineers are so important. And then looking forward into the future, you know, the problems are not going to stop coming. You know, in fact, we create more problems. We try to solve one and there are unintended consequences, uh, the result of which is we have to have another solution. So we discovered that we could use gasoline. Now we're trying to figure out how we can do carbon sequestration or manage the CO2 in the atmosphere. So all of these things require uh, engineering. So engineers, I think, will always have meaningful work to do, whether it's in the climate space, uh, health. You know, we think about the connection between energy, food, and water. Uh, I was watching 60 Minutes and they were talking about the drought in California. That is created by agriculture and other uses of that water how do we fix that so we'll see problems in the future and that's what excites me about being an engineer
1: yes and it's also having a big role in what you're doing there at the university of delaware which i think is great on looking forward levi what we tend to do is we focus on trends the future and opportunities to do that we first like to take a look backwards to see how things have evolved over the years. And I know that you've been in the engineering world for quite some time. I'm wondering if you could give us a snapshot look at how you think the field of engineering has changed, has evolved, however far back you want to go. And Levi, just to make this a little bit clearer for you and the listeners, I'm thinking about things like who studies engineering, what specialties there are in engineering and how they've changed over the years is it declining in popularity or growing in popularity the field what are people doing as engineers any of that sort of thing
0: i would tell you that engineering is one of the most dynamic fields there is you know i mentioned that engineers solve problems the problems are changing the way we have to solve those problems as a consequence is changing Again, thinking about an engineer 100 years ago, there may have been, let's say, a focus on feeding our population. Haber and Bosch created both a catalyst, a material, and a process that helped produce uh, in large quantities and very cost-effectively ammonia, which is an ingredient in fertilizers, most fertilizers. Uh, That discovery is about a century old now but it was in response to the need to feed the population. One of the consequences over time is that it consumes, even to this day, it consumes a lot of energy, it produces greenhouse gases. Those are challenges today. And now we have to find ways to deal with that, more sustainable ways of feeding the population, you know, using less energy, producing less CO2. Just the kinds of problems and Opportunities that we've been looking at, they've changed over time. And you can think back, you know, I'll use an example of uh, the fiber optics that are used for communications. That basic science was invented in the 1960s, I think, but over time it was refined. And then by the 70s and 80s, it was ready for use. What would we do without fiber optic cables? Communications would be much, much slower and we'd be much more frustrated. You know, I think about sometimes when I can't get to sites that or use multiple sites on my computer, how frustrating that can be. I mean, think about a world without the World Wide Web or without LED light bulbs. Those were all innovations that maybe happened decades ago, but it took time to refine them, took engineering to actually bring it to product. And so as I look at our college here at the University of Delaware, our College of Engineering, we have the traditional areas, chemical engineering, electrical engineering, but in the last 20, 30 years, we've also added material science and engineering. We've added biomedical engineering. We have a much greater focus on data science and cybersecurity. We have a construction engineering and management program. So those are all areas that have emerged let's say, in the, in the last few decades. One other thing that I would tell you that's different now versus you know, maybe uh, 50, 100 years ago is the diversity of our student body and workforce. When I was in school, there were very few women, very few underrepresented minorities in engineering. We're seeing many more get involved. So we're still
1: not where we would like to be, but we've made tremendous progress. Levi, that's really interesting information. I just want to follow up on that. Can you speak a little bit more about the fields, the majors that students are choosing these days? You mentioned the traditional ones and some of the newer ones. How is that playing out now? What's popular? What's become less popular? And also, if you could talk a little bit again, thinking about the evolution of engineering over the last Two or three decades. I know you talked about the problems and how they've been tackled by engineering. What careers have resulted from those changes that you've seen?
0: So, lots of changes. I'll, I'll use as an example mechanical engineering. When I was in school, mechanical engineering was really very physics based, very mechanical, if you will, in a traditional sense. Now you'll find mechanical engineers doing everything from biomedical related work to what we would traditionally think of as mechanical engineering to advanced energy technologies. So that area, just like the other ones, I use that as an example. I I could say the same for all of the other traditional areas. They have evolved over time to reflect the challenges and problems that we need solved. Then we have areas that kind of emerge from those traditional disciplines. Material science and engineering, as an example, was a conscious decision that we needed more focus on matter. And so that spawned out of chemical engineering. Environmental engineering, which is also very popular, that came out of chemical engineering. I could go through, there's a long list of maybe disciplines that were born from the traditional ones, the original, if if we were to argue there were some original engineering disciplines, there are a number of other disciplines that have basically come out of that, out of those uh, original disciplines, to reflect and address the problems and opportunities that we're facing now. And my expectation is that with time, we will see continued evolution. I mean, you think about changes with computers and computation. You know, computer science has evolved substantially. I mean, there's still focus on hardware and software, but now, you know, managing data, data science has become a major theme within computer science and in other disciplines. That's the beauty of engineering. It evolves to address the challenges and problems that we face as a society.
1: And so this is opening up jobs Right now, for engineers in areas that maybe didn't even offer jobs
0: before, didn't exist. They didn't didn't exist. exist. You could not. You probably couldn't have. Couldn't find. I, I suspect that 50 years ago, you couldn't find a data scientist. You know, someone that had the title data scientist. You might not have been able to find a biomedical engineer. You know, that somebody in chemical engineer chemical engineering or mechanical engineering may have done work in that area, but now most of the, uh, the prominent engineering colleges have biomedical engineering. And so that's another area that, you know, I, I, my suspicion is 50 years ago, maybe a little discussion about it, but now, I mean, there was something called metallurgical engineering. I spent yes. many years at University of Michigan. You know, we had a metallurgical engineering department I think it was metallurgical and something else, but that morphed, eventually became material science and engineering, took some elements from chemical engineering, and now that is a very, very strong department, and it's a very, very significant discipline across the country and, in fact, across the world.
1: That is fascinating, and I just want to add to what you said, Levi, in that I've had several guests on Looking Forward who talk about that position of data scientist and data analyst. It's just become so popular now. I'm wondering, as you were speaking about the evolution of engineering, if it's been similarly happening in other places around the world, maybe we're not even leading the charge. What would you have to say about that?
0: So I I would say that The evolution of engineering here in the United States is it's it's a little bit different from let's say some countries in Asia. I'll use China as an example. Okay. Ours has always been, at least as long as I've been an engineer, and as you indicated, and thanks for saying that. (laughs) I've been an engineer for a long time. Okay. As long as I've known, it's been about largely innovation, you know, solving problems. If you were to look at You know, many, many years ago, engineers in China, as an example, it was more about the theory. You know, there was not as much putting that theory into practice today, however, and you can guess what what the drivers are. Well, it's very similar here in the United States as it is in China. And now the sheer number of people makes a difference. You know, at one point we had an edge. Because we were more about innovation. Now, not so much so. And information is communicated instantaneously. You know, it used to be that there was some delay, if you will. So you'd have a lag that would allow you to get ahead of the curve or stay ahead. That no longer exists. What we know here is almost immediately disseminated. And similarly, what's what's known in uh, other parts of the world is very quickly disseminated. So it's leveled the playing field so that, you know, we'd love to be a, ahead of the game. Staying ahead will now be a function of our investment in continuing to innovate, you know, and, and, and that's where research becomes very important and investment in research. Is how we arrived at the internet. You know, I mentioned a number of innovations. Those were a consequence of someone or some group of people doing research. We've got to continue investing in research if we have any hope of staying ahead of the curve.
1: Yes, with other people in other countries perhaps being more advanced than we are in certain areas, as long as we will see global collaboration, then everybody can benefit, no matter who's leading the charge in any given initiative. Would you agree with that? That's right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the way, well, the other thing that you uh, think about is the way products are um, moving around. Think about it. I can have something delivered to me something other than groceries, delivered the same day, right? I can order it in the afternoon and I can get it sometime that evening. Yes. Of course, I can't do that, you know, if it's a product that is right now in another country. It might take a day or two. You compare what we our wait times now versus wait times, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago. On-time delivery was, I think that was a, a thought, not a reality. Now it's a reality. Yes,
1: and that has been an amazing advancement. I know that you and the University of Delaware, Levi, are paying a great deal of attention to the National Academy of Engineering's Grand Challenges for Engineering. Can you please give our listeners an overview of what Instead of saying National Academy of Engineering, I'll just say NAEs, grand mm-hmm. challenges are all about? Sure.
0: You know, this is not necessarily an overview. I'm going to simplify it. The grand challenges are essentially 14 societal game changers. You know, if we can accomplish these 14 things, it will fundamentally change the way things are done. And they're incredibly Important. I don't want to list all of them, but uh, one is to make solar more economical. You know, right now we only use about 1% of the available solar energy that hits the earth. What if we can use 5%? In fact, if I think at obviously some percentage at which many of our energy needs and our thirst for energy would be satisfied, that's a sustainable strategy. Or a sustainable source. You think about, um, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality. These will allow us to do things in spaces that we've never been. You know, you can just imagine. Now, I'm 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 not a big sci-fi fan. You know, I'm not a, a, a Trekkie or anything like that. But you, you remember some of the things that they were able to do. Just imagine if we were and we will i you know i'm convinced we will be able to someday do many of those things i'm struck by the need to find and provide greater access to clean water you know a, a significant part of our population does not have access to clean water and in fact you can go to some states like michigan and you'll find communities where the water is contaminated with lead and it's been contaminated we're just letting people know to some extent. Once you see it, it's been there for a while. That's a, that's a grand challenge. You know, making sure that we have clean, affordable water. If
1: we can do that, I mentioned societal game changers, that would be incredible. When you are mentioning the grand challenges, National Academy of Engineering has laid down. What's the basis for this? Who is the National Academy? what spurred them to come up with these grand challenges. Is this a multinational organization? Maybe just a little bit of that too, and then we'll get a little bit deeper into some of these challenges.
0: The uh, National Academy of Engineering is a multinational organization. There are uh, mostly uh, US members, but there's significant membership from other uh, countries. From my perspective, the National Academy is uh, a group of the perhaps most accomplished engineers. It's a relatively small percentage of the total number of engineers. And there's a process by which you become elected. So not every very accomplished engineer takes it into the National Academy. I don't think it was ever meant to be an overly exclusive organization but it has a small membership, relatively small membership, if you think about all the engineers that there are out there. But from that platform, you can do a lot of really good things. You know, once you have that designation, in my opinion, the value of being in that National Academy is to speak to societal challenges. You know, as an engineer, if we're problem solvers, we should highlight major challenges that society is facing, and then say, we're going to try and attack those. We're going to have an organization. We have a Grand Challenges Scholars Program here at the University of Delaware. And it's one of probably 150 across the country. But these Grand Challenges Scholars are focused on trying to address some of the 14 Grand Challenges that were established by the NAE. And it, it, it just creates a great deal of excitement. It reminds us of why we're engineers, you know, why we
1: have pursued this discipline. So I think it's a wonderful organization. Okay. What I'm wondering is some of these challenges, I mean, you talked about clean water and solar energy. Some of the challenges have to do with healthcare. Mm-hmm. All of these challenges affect most all of us in some way. Healthcare, of course, is very personal. That really affects us. Reverse engineering the brain. I know there's a challenge about engineering better medicine, advancing health informatics. I'd like you to just delve a little bit more deeply, if you would, Levi, into those challenges. How does engineering fit into that and what is engineering going to try to help do?
0: Let me start with engineering Better medicines, and I'm not going to apologize for this. I'm at the University of Delaware, so I'll probably use some examples from the University of Delaware that I'm most familiar with. Sure. You know, as as you think about uh, medication, it's molecules. Those molecules have to get to a particular place in your body, or at least that's what you'd want. You don't want to have it just infiltrate everything, especially if it's something that can be somewhat damaging for one part of your body versus another. So you wanna do targeted therapies. And that requires that you understand uh, how things get from one place to another. In some cases, you're gonna to have to think about protecting whatever that molecule is, you have to protect it in order to allow it to actually make it to where wherever it needs to go. And so we have people at the University of Delaware that are looking at all of those aspects. You know, When, when you think about a, medi- a medicine, sometimes you just think about it as you know, a molecule or just some, some material, but that material has been designed to get to where it needs to go and deliver kind of its payload. Millie Sullivan, as an example, we just uh, recognized her with the uh, Stiles Professorship. Uh, she's working on both understanding how things can be delivered, how you can kind of protect them with encapsulation. This would include uh, gene therapies, protein therapies, RNA therapies, all of those just understanding and designing materials, nanomaterials in particular, that would allow you to accomplish the goal of getting it to where it needs to go. There's another young member of our faculty that's looking at something like understanding how the brain works how the brain tissue from a mechanical perspective uh, works. And I won't get too much into the details because I don't understand it myself, but there's evidently the stiffness of your brain will determine how it can function. If you can imagine that, we can do a mechanical measurement on your brain to determine how it might function. Now, what will that help us with? Well, if we ever wanted to reverse engineer the brain or change the way it functions, understanding those mechanical elements would be incredibly important. So that's an example of uh, maybe reverse engineering. I I think you mentioned bioinformatics or health informatics. And uh, we have a data science uh, institute here at the University of Delaware, uh, led by uh, Kathy Wu, Professor Kathy Wu. And they're applying machine learning, uh, data mining, artificial intelligence, all of those things to try and enhance the quality and the efficiency of medicine and medical care. In fact, she was able to predict that a certain Alzheimer's drug would be a good candidate to be used for the treatment of COVID-19. Wow. Just from the data that's available, scouring all the information that's known, mining it, and making the appropriate connections just imagine that and and think about all the medications that exist if we had information about all of the things that they do and you know you might have something that has side effects those side effects might be negative for one particular treatment but maybe it's helpful and therapeutic
1: for something else it's fascinating just to follow up to that levi is this a new way that engineering and engineers are getting involved with medicine? Or has this been going on behind the scenes for years? And I was completely ignorant about that.
0: It's probably been happening for a while, but we have not. One of the interesting things, we haven't had the opportunity to manage the data the way we do now. And it's getting better. There is just a tremendous amount of data out there accessing it going through it, you know, sort of filtering through all of that data. If you had to do that yourself, it would take forever. I mean, in fact, you could not do it. It would just take too much time. But with modern computational power, we're able to go through that data, find useful information. You know, we do work with chemicals for energy storage. There's a tremendous amount of data out there. We're mining that data and it's revealing some very interesting materials that we can potentially used for large scale energy storage.
1: Which would have implications with batteries? Exactly. Implications with
0: batteries and the use of renewable energy. You know, you think about solar energy, great during the day, not so good at night. Right. (laughs) Need some way to store it so that you can use that energy when the sun isn't shining. Wind, same thing. Tidal energy,
1: same thing. This concludes part one of our two-part series on engineering trends, opportunities, and the future with our guest expert, Dr. Levi Thompson. Please join us next time for part two of this series. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Dr. Thompson or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F. Ostroff O-S-T-R-O-F-F dot com This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.